0: Now, this morning, the title is Romans Road to Salvation, which I basically took from it's been around for a long been around almost as long as Romans, as I would guess, uh, as a as a method of sharing sharing the gospel. And so I wanted to take those points which stem from Romans 323, 58, 623, and 10:9 and 10. Don't worry about writing it down now. I'm going to come back to all those. Okay? And uh, for those of you that that like to take notes, I've actually got a point-by-point outline that I will share as I go. Now, as way of an introduction, I would like to read from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Because I want us to see here, to kind of get us, into this, what we're going to do because we're going to be we're going to be moving through Romans, and like I say, we're going to be uh, we're going to wind up in verse ten by the time we're done, or chapter ten by the time we're done. This book is kind of like it's definitely the crown jewel of Paul's writings. This is a masterpiece on the doctrine of salvation. So I'm going to say that up front. Let's start. Let's begin by reading that. Uh, Chap, this verse in chapter 1. As soon as I get my binoculars on. There we go. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son in my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests if perhaps now at the last At the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Jews and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in, the, for it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from, from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous shall live by faith. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we just ask that you would indeed as we look through these passages, more that you would open up our minds to your truth, and that by the time we're done today, that you would instill in us a, an even greater desire to take your word to the lost that are out there. May we, may we somehow have the heart of Paul, that we would we see these people, that we would take our light into this dying world. And again, Lord, I just ask that you would get by my. Weaknesses as a speaker, and that your truth would stand firm as a beacon to all of us in Jesus name and for His glory. Amen. Romans Road: Start a chapter this is by way of introduction, if someone were to ask, "What must I do to be saved?" as the Philippian jailer asked Paul, or, maybe more specifically, or why must I be saved?" what would, uh, what would you tell them? Is it one of those things you're really not in any hurry for somebody to ask that because you're afraid what you might not be able to say? And I know that's, that's true in the church. I've been here. I know. <laughs> no. I've been around long enough to know that that's true because for s- some years in the past, I was in that camp. like, mm-hmm. And so, but I had to stop and think. I said, well, you know, someone talking to me said, well, well, if you're saved... Okay, you say you're saved. Well, what did you believe in? What did you believe in that you can't repeat, that you don't know? Fair question, right? Fair question. And per- that could be one of the problems. Maybe you're not where you think you are. That- that's a possibility. I'm not judging. I'm just throwing it out there as a bona fide possibility. Also, um, and two, if we now are to be lights in this really this dark and dying world and it seems to be at least judging from our country it's dying at a very rapid pace and um, I'll tell you it's like, it's like Paul looks out there and he sees, he sees the world from that perspective and we have to ask ourselves, do we care that men, women are dying out there they're dying I mean, that's something we have to look inside to find. Do we care that they're dying? Do we care enough to go out and speak to them? Tell them that, you know, there is a better way. There is a way out of this mess. Now, one of the biggest reasons, I believe, for not sharing uh, our faith is um, age old illness. Uh, The theological term for this illness is chickenitis. We're just scared. We're just scared. It's, it's a fearful thing sometimes to walk up to, to some big old burly dude and say, you need to repent. You know, or even some little guy, you need to repent. We, are, we seem to be so intimidated by that. And we shouldn't be. because, And, and that's why the, the, the presentations that I like the best and the only ones I actually even support are presentations right out of Scripture Itself using Scripture, not paraphrasing Scripture, not saying, "Well, the Bible says such and such," even if that statement is true. It's the Bible, the Holy Spirit's book, that moves in the heart of men and women, not our fantastic knowledge of what it might say. We need to let let Scripture speak. That's where the power is. That's where not us. Now, but before we get into it, I'd like to establish a right frame of mind. And that's why I read that passage. I'd like to go back in chapter one, again, just by way of introduction here. Verse 1, where in Paul. Number one, Paul considered himself a bondservant of Christ, bondservant, doulos, slave, slave of Christ. And set apart for the gospel. Yes, he was an apostle, but you know what? If you are a believer, you too are set apart for the gospel. You remember that little thing called the Great Commission? That's to the whole church, not just to the apostles. Okay, so we should view ourselves in that same sense. We too are set apart for the gospel. Therefore, wouldn't it uh, behoove us to kind of understand what it is and how to proclaim it? You know, that's our job. We need to. We need to. You know, we need to know how to do our job. And the, and the big thing is, I mean, there, to me, at this point, there's no more important biblical study than the gospel itself if we are not prepared to give the gospel. That's where we should back up and start. Everything else is, is great. All Bible study is marvelous. But if we don't have the gospel down to the point where we could just pick up our Bible and start showing it to people... We need to back up. Get back to the basics. Get back, you know, just go back to go. Now, verse 2 through 4. He also points out, again, he's introducing this book. Remember, this, this letter to Romans is a whole treatise on the doctrine of salvation. One is like an introduction. You get to verse 18 of chapter 1. He's starting now to establish the sinfulness of man. And he's going to go through and talk about the gospel. But these first 17s is like Paul's introduction to this massive teaching he's about ready to undertake. And so he's making a few other points clear, too. Concerning his son, Verse well, verse uh, 2, about the Bible, about the gospel itself, which he promised before and through the, his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Another good thing, uh, I always at every, at every given opportunity, I'd like to take shots at those folks that preach that the Old Testament is of no longer of any importance if if you go to church and somebody preaches that run from them you don't need them they're no good go don't even stay don't even stay concerning now verse three concerning his son who was born of the of a descendant of david according to the flesh again there's your davidic covenant remember that christ the king going to ascend to the throne all important stuff Jesus, obviously, an integral part of the gospel, we need to know about him too, don't we? There's people out there that really don't understand who Jesus is. Really don't. Um, And verse verse 4, who declared the Son of God with the power of the resurrection, resurrected Lord, we'll be getting to that, from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Christ is our Lord. Lordship, we'll be getting to that in the... A little bit in the future as well. So again, he's the descendant of David, Messiah King, risen from the dead, our Lord. Verse 6, it says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Again, we are called. And then then last but certainly not least, know this when you read from Scripture, verse 16 of chapter 1. And, this is the, and we should adopt this same frame of mind. This same frame of mind that Paul has. Says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Not our great linguistic abilities or our magnificent manner of speech. None of that matters. It's the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, now, now we're looking, and we're going to be looking at the, the Romans' road to, to salvation. And we're going to have several points. We're going to be looking at the, uh, we're going to be looking at the, the we'll start with, with the, and again I'll be repeating these the problem, the provision, the pardon, and the process. Okay? And then I'm going to conclude with a couple of exercise, the promise and the preaching. But for now, let's start with the problem. The problem, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. First point is the problem. Man is a sinner, and God is holy and righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, all have sinned, all of humanity, beginning with the fall. We look around, yeah, some sin worse than others. Nevertheless, all have sinned. And again, that sin that we commit is held in comparison to a holy God who will deal with sin. Do you realize that compared to the holiness of God, one sin by one person could demand the destruction of the entire earth? God is that holy but be thankful god is also long suffering and patient and kind all right but understand that again we because we live in such a sin sick world it's hard to imagine the the level of holiness that god actually maintains it's just it's if I, our minds cannot get it it's just pure and simple now, God's condemnation of mankind starts in Romans 1.18 all the way through 3.20. I'm not going to read it all. That's, I'm not going to read it all. I will highlight a few things, though. Um, in chapter 1, let's look at verse 18. 1.18, we'll just go to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood though <clears throat> through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they know God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Again, looking back into history, what has man done? And is still doing it. Man, by forsaking the one true God, they wind up in idolatry. And again, I'll just make this plain without going to a lot of rigmarole, but Worshiping God in a false manner and in a false way is just another form of idolatry. We, scripture is clear. We are to worship the one true God the way he demands to be worshipped. Okay? And um, that isn't taught in too many places anymore. Now, man, 118 to 23 basically says man knowing the truth openly and, and defiant, defiantly rejected the truth. To the point where many uh, were and are given over to a depraved mind. Verse one one twenty eight says, uh, "Going, I'm not going to. I'll spare you the the uh, uh, part that kind of describes our country, and just jump to verse twenty eight where it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper.' And you know, you know quite well what's in that passage and what that passage is talking about. You know. This, this movement that is being promoted uh, by our government, among other places. And, what, what, and so what uh, can happen, and I believe it has to many of them, that God gave them over to a depraved mind. That depraved mind, I like the way the, the King James put it, a reprobate mind. kind of sings, Then it? Reprobate. It kind of gives the thrust of that word. What a depraved mind is, what the, the Greek word is talking about, that's a mind that's not functioning properly. That's a malfunctioning mind. That's a mind that's so corrupted by sin, it defies even logic. Somebody waking up saying, "Waking up as a man saying, I think I'm a girl. That is not logical. These are the same ones, by the way, that says follow the science. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's not logical. That doesn't work. I mean, even I I think back to, like, second or third grade science. I have to think back. But I I knew it then. It doesn't make sense. It's nonsensical. Only a sick, depraved mind would even come up with such things, let alone promote it like they're doing. To the point now where they're actually, in some school districts, they're not, if the child says, I want to change my identity... They are told not to tell the parents about it. That's sick, folks. That is a depraved mind. That is a depraved mind. That's a mind that is not functioning. That's a malfunctioning mind. I'm sorry, and it's malfunctioning because it's. it's call it using some computer language, and I don't know much of it, but it's a. That's a. Uh, <laughs> sin overload <laughs> okay and the thing's gonna burn up it's it's gone it's bad um i think too it where it says through the another way i think of having that de, that mind that's that's depraved and totally malfunctioning like first timothy 4 2 puts it another way that's those consciences that are seared with a they're they're, they're seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron i mean that, their mind is just locked up it's just locked into sin Okay, then verse 29 goes on to say, they're being filled with unrighteousness. In 129, being filled with all unrighteousness, wicked, greed, envy, strife, deceit. You can read through this list of sin. And, you know, from 118 to 32, you can go through there, you can see every one of us is in there somewhere. Or may I say, a la 1 Corinthians 6, so were some of you. This is speaking of lifestyle. This is not speaking of a, like, oh, you went out and, and told a lie. And you repented. That's not what this list is talking about. This list, like first, the one in First Corinthians 6, we're not going there, is those, they're speaking sins being, that that's describes your lifestyle. So these sins that become a lifestyle, that's, that, um, what that's telling the person, whether they realize it or not, you're not saved. And verse 29 says, where it says, being filled with all unrighteousness, that's the filled in the sense of being controlled. It's the same exact, exact word found in Ephesians 5.18, where Paul writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not be filled with the control of sin. See the difference? are going to be controlled by something, All of mankind is going to be controlled by something. Now, in verse 32, all they, they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Well, I don't do that. But no, you approve of it. You vote for it. You know, uh, yeah, you're, you're no better. You're no better. Anybody that would approve of it and then try to back up and say, "No, I know better. no, you don't." And that's the problem. Man is controlled by sin, and only the power of the gospel can free them from this control, as it did us, as it did us. that's the problem. Now Romans 5:8 is a provision. You notice Romans 3:23 like comes at the end of this dissertation on the sinfulness of man uh, 5.8 kind of does the same we're going to start with 5.8 and then we're going to back up a little bit now here's the provision Romans 5.8 and what that provision is is the substitutionary death of Christ the problem is sin and the holiness of God because God will judge sin and then the provision is Romans, in Romans 5.8 the substitutionary death of Christ Five eight says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us now he died for us literally what that means is he died in our place that's the substitutionary death that's theologically speaking that's an important doctrine not to mess up. He died in our place we should we should be the ones. Killed for our sin. Not him. He was holy. Now, it says, again, while we were yet sinners, this happened. And that that shows us right there again that his death was the greatest act of love the world will ever see. No matter what you hear or what book you read, this death of Christ is the greatest act of love the world has ever witnessed. Or will ever witness. The thing is, holy God coming to earth and dying the death that we deserve on our behalf in our place. Amazing, amazing love. Romans three twenty to twenty eight has already declared this an act of grace. Let's look at Romans three twenty to twenty eight. Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for though for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is the boasting? Is it excluded by the... Where, is, where, is there, where then is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by law of faith, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law we 've already moved ahead. remember this book of Romans is written to believers. it wasn't written as a gospel track, all right and men try to rearrange it sometimes but and I know a lot of times they put six twenty three in front of work, but I always felt that you know, I figure the Holy Spirit knows the order i 'll just go with that <laughs> that's just That's just me but What I'm trying to, the the point I'm trying to impress is that you know this book well enough, you could start in chapter 1 and just walk somebody through it and explain things along the way. And you just keep doing it, and by the time you highlight things here and there, by the time you get to chapter 10, it's going to be a beautiful presentation, okay? I'm just picking out what is classically called the Roman's Road to Salvation and just trying to enlarge it in the book context into where you can just kind of just move through it and know it's... Rather than just repeating verses and then getting asked a question, like, what does that mean? Uh, which is better than making something up. But uh, anyway, the language of Romans 3, I'm getting sidetracked here. Let's just pick up some of the, pat, some of the terms that are in there. The word justified, what, what they say, what does justified mean? Well, that means declared, not guilty. Uh, what about grace? The, that's unmerited favor, right? Something not earned or deserved? A gift. And we're going to see that word coming up. How about redemption? In, in verse 24, redemption came up. Well, that means delivered by ransom from the consequences of sin through our Lord's substitutionary death. He rans- we were ransomed. We were on the blocks. Okay? We're on the, we're, we were on the blocks uh, going for eternal judgment and, and the Lord ran, with his death he ransomed us out of there he got us out of there he brought us and freed us from that okay and word that uh, propitiation is a very important word again remember we're looking at a holy and righteous God a, what a propitiation is it's a sacrifice that fulfills the just demands of a holy God for the payment of those sins, a propitiation it was it was enough satisfaction that God can say to us because of his sacrifice for us, not guilty. see that he took it he took it in our place, he took it in our place, and then I want to read a little bit more here in, in Put this now, this provision in context. The results, which is the results of justification. Romans 5, 1 through 10. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there. Peace. Peace with God. Peace here is to be understood as peace as in the absence of war. If to those that are not saved, you're literally in a, at war with God. You're on the wrong side of this deal. Okay? At peace with God. Peace with God. Through whom also, verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our inheritance, our, excuse me, our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this. But we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulations brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Again, see, again, this, is, this book is written to us as believers. All right? Verse 6, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die, even to die. Uh, but God demonstrates his love toward us in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For, what, for, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Just all over his gospel. It's just grace, love, mercy, forgiveness. Again, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Okay. We saw the problem and the provision. We've actually already touched on it. Let's look at the pardon. It's already been stated. It's already been stated, but I want to state it, it's going to be said again, Romans 6 23. The, pr- the pardon is the free gift of God. It's a free gift. It's a pardon. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, it's a free gift. Free gift. What is a free gift? It's a gift. If you work for it, that's a wage. For the wages of sin is death. If you want to try to earn your way in, the... the Death is what you're going to reap. It's a gift. And we've already seen, we're going to get to it again, but we've already seen that faith is the key to this thing. But it's a free gift. It's free, 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 free. And and 623 really is a summarization of everything that's been stated to this point about the doctrine of salvation. You can go back to chapter 1, read all the way through, and that's like a summation of everything we've just... We didn't. But if you were to read it all, it's a summation of it all, okay? Summation of it all. Six twenty. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we also see some background information here. Is in the in that repentance um, is part of a true salvation experience. We can see that in. Uh, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. We won't read it, but it's... it's well, I will. Um, Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves for the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that, 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 that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you were presenting your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And again, that speaks of the turnaround that, that takes place, that turnaround. And, sancti- and again, sanctification is another term. Sanctification being the result of a true conversion, all right? And sanctification basically means that one now begins a life that would demonstrate a life of purity and holiness. Um, And again, the sanctification is a lifelong process. It doesn't mean that you're saved on Monday and you reach perfection on Tuesday. It means that a person that truly believes in the gospel from that point on you see yourself getting better and better over time. And perfection will come in the next life. And that will be finished. That will, that will happen to us as, again, part of ourselves. Remember, salvation kind of comes in three parts. You know, we're justified at the point of salvation. Sanctified Sanctification is the process we're in now. And then when we get to glory, we'll be glorified. It's a three-stage process. We're in that sanctification process now, and it's a lifelong process. Now, we've seen the pardon. Now let's move on to the next one, Romans 10, 9, and 10. The process. The process. What do I mean by the process of salvation? Well, believing, the process is believing in the person and work of Christ alone for salvation. Believing in Christ alone for salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We'll stop there for, for a minute. Confess. What does it mean to confess? Well, confess means to acknowledge. Think of the uh, think of a person on the witness stand. That's got to fess up to their crime. He pleads guilty. Well, he confesses. Yes, I admit it. I did it. I'm confessing to that crime. I acknowledge, I acknowledge what I did. Now, confessing here is, is the same idea. You're acknowledging with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You Notice that? And to those who <clears throat> out there in Never Never Land deny Jesus as Lord or Lordship salvation, I just want to say that Lordship what lordship salvation teaches that saving faith is characterized by not only repentance of sin but an acknowledgement of jesus christ as both lord and savior see a lot of folks claim will say a magic prayer say, oh yeah i'm saved but you don't see anything about them acknowledging him as lord at all you don't even see any, any obedience anywhere and in, and in in so often it's just a kind of a flippant thing it's it's not it's not that way of all and um so, and also we see in verse 9 that what's what's also entailed about this belief. Number one, let's just go back over it again. We're confessing with your mouth Jesus as Lord. We're believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So it's a, a Lord, a risen Lord. And then verse 10 says... For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. So there again, uh, righteousness, which is sanctification, salvation, that's the direct result of a true saving faith. Now there's two more things that we want to see here. We saw the pardon, the process. Now here's the promise. Here's the promise. We're in Romans 10, 11 to 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. You say, well, you don't understand what's going on. Look. Look. One thing we know for sure, we know for sure, to a person that truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repents of their sin, recognizes him as risen Lord, who honestly before God says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And verse 13 says, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord might be saved? No. Will be saved. That's a promise. That will happen. If, if someone truly in their heart of hearts, in sincerity of heart, and truly believes, calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you will be saved. So that's grace. That's a promise. That's what it says. That's a quote right out of Joel. The first one, verse 11, was a quote out of Isaiah it's that's a promise that's going to happen if you with a call upon him. you're gonna and the last one and this is the app actually here's the application of it I call that the preaching just to keep with the P thing going here you know the preaching Romans 10 14 to 15 now Paul's going to ask us ask four questions and he's going to follow up those four questions with a quote from Isaiah the four questions is verse 14. And these are, these are ones that we... Let's think about it as they're being said. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Okay. Next question. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And now it's getting to the point where Paul's moving to. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And verse 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? See where he was going? The only way they're going to, people out there are going to hear the message of the gospel is that if somebody takes it to them. That's why we have things like missionaries. All of us here as believers are missionaries. They're sometimes called home missionaries. That's us, right here. You don't have to, you know, some people are called to go to foreign lands. That's great. Somebody's got to do that. But those that stay back, we're not off the hook. We are missionaries to Southern Oregon. And who knows what the Lord might do. But again, I'll tell you, that's one thing that I'm longing for here that we get a greater, greater emphasis here at Applegate on evangelizing not only the neighborhood but our, our surrounding areas where we live uh, I remember years ago I was involved with a program called Evangelism Explosion some of you might have heard about that the, the late D. James Kennedy founded that and we'd go out there and it was a, it was a training method you got there you get trained how to share your faith and then you would hopefully stay and train others And I was in it for a couple of years, and we actually went out, and some of the folks I used to work with are still doing that. They'll go out there in the evening sometimes, like in the summer of the evenings, walk through the parks and just talk to people, share their faith. What was really kind of interesting sometimes, a place you really want to go where you have a captured audience, we used to go into laundromats, And uh, while their clothes are tumble drying, we're uh, testifying, you might say. Okay? And that, and that, that wasn't planned. That came out. That's pretty good. So, But see, those are the kind of things we should be thinking about. Be a little creative. And let's do it. I'm serious. Let's do it. I'll go with you. Let, let's do it. Think, think about things we can do. Um, and now I want to read the quote from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Okay? Those are the people. That share the word. That word glad tidings. That's the word. Which is the word most often translated. Gospel. In the New Testament. As a matter of fact. It's the word for gospel. In Romans 1.1. 1, 1, where it says for the gospel of God. That's the word gospel. Glad tidings. Gospel. Good news, glad tidings. That's what gospel means, good news. And it is good news. And, it's, and it's, good, it's, it's good news for a reason. Because apart from that good news, people are going to hell. I mean, all, all of humanity, Romans 1, all of humanity stands guilty before God. And it's only the gospel, as Paul said, that's, that's got, and read, I want to read this correctly, it's only the gospel is has the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's where it comes from. We've got it. We've got it. And when we're speaking the word of God, we can speak it authoritatively because our, the word is authoritative. We can go. We should go. We can do this, folks. I know we can. We can do this. Let's close it a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, and we... We ask that you would instill in our hearts a desire to take your gospel to our fellow citizens here. And Lord, too, as we support the missions, we pray we would still do that. Keep them in mind. Keep praying for them. But again, Lord, would you instill in our hearts the desire to reach the folks in our neighborhood with your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.